Welcome out to the Bulls and the Bears. This is Aaron Warby, uh, sponsored by Online Trading Academy, the most trusted name in financial education and celebrating 26 years of service. All right, so I wanted to start off today just talking about the markets because here we are making historic markets, meaning all-time highs. All right, for the first time ever, the S&P 500 surpassed the 5,000 mark. All right, over $5,000. The NASDAQ is nearing 16,000. It's also at all-time highs. Now the Dow, it's been making all-time highs, but this week, not so much, okay? Uh, it had some movement early, but the week, it didn't have the same growth uh, here, you know, at the end of the week as the other two did. And the Russell 2000, which are the mid-cap and smaller uh, traded companies, that uh, is well off of its all-time highs, and we should expect that, especially at this period, okay? Um, because, I, you know, it, we would look as though the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ nearing their all-time highs would indicate that the economy is really screaming. That's not the case, and you see that especially in, um, you know, in, in stocks that would be in places like the Dow and and uh, also there in the uh, Russell 2000, the, the smaller and, and mid caps, they always feel some of the pain first and they've been feeling it for a little while. All right. But I did want to go over, you know, what is going on in the S&P 500. So why is the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ making all time highs? All right. Uh, the question is going around because and especially on Main Street, you know, there's been a lot of of pressure there on Main Street, um, you know, and and I think that this political season is highlighting that. Even though the markets are all time highs, you see a lot of the undercurrent of the working class, especially saying, "Hey, the economy is not that great," and there's a lot of voices that are that are kind of screaming about it. We're seeing it in the polling numbers and things like that. Um, you know, and so I just wanted to go over a little bit about what's going on there because it's going to have an effect eventually on some trading and investing numbers. Now, does that mean that we are going to absolutely see it in the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ? All right, these two are so heavily weighted that a couple of the companies are really, you know, that have been doing well. Now, Apple is off a little bit, okay, um, but the mag what the magnificent seven really carried the s p 500 and the nasdaq during 2023 all right um but you know is is that going to be able to last forever well you know what it could i'm not going to try and predict what's happening i mean really uh you know predictions for all economists across the board have simply failed this year because they're from a fundamental point of view, from a an economic point of view, there is no reason that we should that the markets should be as high as they are. But the markets and the economy, they're not the same. And you know, it, it's a real mistake, especially in trading or investing, to assume that they are or that they have to be, that one has to reflect the other. In the long run, one does tend to reflect the other. Okay, usually the economy moves first and the uh, markets follow. Uh, that hasn't always been the case. Sometimes the markets lead, uh, and that's generally when things are, you know, thought to 
be getting better. That certainly happened in February 2009. Um, you know, the way the Federal Reserve announced that they were simply going to print money and throw it at the markets, and the markets immediately recovered, and that was before things started getting better in the economy. Um, but generally throughout time, the economy has led the way, meaning that the economy suffers and then the stock market, you know, gets a clue and, and follows. The economy starts getting better and then the stock market follows. All right. But the stock market being an emotional, uh, you know, type place to be in, and it is, all right. The purchases, the selling and purchasing there in the stock market is is a lot. It's emotions and it's controlled by emotions. And those emotions are typ- typically drag a little bit. Okay. And so generally what, uh, you know, the professional investors will do is they'll look for leading indicators in the economy. And this is what's been happening in years past. And it hasn't been very reliable. All right. But we're going to go through the exercise, uh, you know, this week of of trying to find some economic indicators anyway, all right? And then I'll tell you why, again, it might not work and and what you can do about it, all right? And hopefully it helps. All right, so last week, you know, um, we went through uh, some of this earnings, and I wanted to talk about that, all right, because I know that the popular news is blaming some of the rise in the stock market on the earnings. And I'm not going to say that it's absolutely not, But from a fundamental point of view, we haven't seen anything that's been exceptional, all right? But we have seen overreactions to even partial good news, all right? Um, However, looking at the numbers and simply saying that's what happened and that's why is a mistake. So last week, what we did is is I went through, um, you know, some of, of the earnings that were going to come out this week. And I highlighted some of those that I was going to be very interested in looking at kind of as a temperature gauge as to what's going on in the overall economy. Now, again, the overall economy does not mean that's what's going to happen in the stock market. All right. But there's usually a lot of interest around earnings season uh, because, you know, typically uh, earnings beats or earnings misses will cause, you know, some uh, temporary uh, adjustment um, a lot of volatility in the stock itself. And where there's volatility, there's also opportunity for those that, um, you know, that are that are able to take advantage of it or know how to take advantage of it. Okay. Now, for me, I'm not going to try and take advantage of it because this is week past. What I'm going to try and do is just look at it and and let's look and see if, you know, what the temperature gauge is in the earnings as applied to uh, to the overall economy. All right. And so last week, what I did was say, well, we're going to largely not look at the necessities type things because people are going to dig in their pockets and and uh, sacrifice the non-necessities for the necessities when push comes to shove. And what's going to really turn the economy down is when people stop spending. All right. So there's a couple of things that we're going to look at. But let's let's look at the earnings first. Okay, one of those that I highlighted last week was McDonald's, and this was an earnings report that came out on Monday. All right, um, it, it had a miss in revenue. It, it met uh, the earnings per share, but missed revenue, which means that uh, things, even though they, even though they missed their uh, their goal, their um, earnings goal, 
because things became less expensive for them, they still made their earnings per share goal, meaning that their profitability was just as high as they expected it to be. All right, now that doesn't necessarily mean that it was higher, you know, that they, they're more, more profitable this year than last year because that wasn't part of the expectation. This is simply a hit or miss based on the guidance from last quarter. And, you know, you see that especially in SD Lauder. Okay, SD Lauder dropped off. Their stock just tanked, even though their EPS, uh, their earnings per share, and their revenue beat. It blew out the guidance. They expected it to be much lower, but still it dropped. And if you look at their uh, their profitability, their profitability has been going down over the last couple of years. And, you know, so when they announced this quarter that their numbers, even though the common person, the, the untrained, I should say, uh, you know, speculator will look at and say, well, they, they beat the EPS, they beat the earnings per share, they beat the, uh, the revenue uh, target, and yet they dropped. And the professional would say, well, I'm looking at their uh, revenue, not as what they expected, but the fact that it keeps trending down. And this isn't a company that I want to hold on to long term. And so, yes, we did see the larger companies, you know, the market makers, and especially those that hold funds, uh, you know, those like um, maybe Morgan Stanley or JP Morgan, uh, you know, Goldman Sachs, and they just dumped the company. I mean, they they sold it off and we saw that drop, even though they had a blowout of, you know, over their expectations. All right. Um, another one that I was looking at was Caterpillar. Now this dropped, even though they had a blowout in their earnings per share and their revenue. Uh, but there is nothing in terms of their overall revenue to explain that. And so this, it dropped and then it started creeping back up. And that was simply because it had, you know, got into what we would call a supply zone, a daily supply zone. And there wasn't enough in the, in the revenue reports to say, we need to push this a lot higher. And so it did what it's supposed to do in a supply zone and it dropped out. All right. And it dropped fast. I mean, this was a, what would be, you know, called a novice gap and it dropped down, uh, into a longer term demand zone and then started its way back up. And that's exactly what it's supposed to do. It was just more dramatic because it was a, you know, um, a quarterly report day. All right. So let's go down. I'm going to skip through British Petroleum, uh, even though it beat and it gapped up, but that's one of the necessities. I'm going to get down to Eli Lilly, all right? That beat, and it beat soundly, and it gapped up again into a daily demand zone, or daily supply zone, and then it dropped off just like it was supposed to, all right? Uh, And then leveled out to back to the, you know, to its regular pattern uh, growth. Really, there was just nothing to see there, all right? Uh, Hershey was another one we were looking for. They had mixed... All right. And it did just what it's supposed to do with a mix. It jumped up and then returned back down and then started its little climb again. Now the profit was up. And so there was no reason to drop it off. And there's probably not a reason right away. And if you're looking at it from a, uh, I don't know, a longer term um, or a temperature gauge of the economy, Hershey's thinking that 
people are still spending even on the non-necessities like candy. All right. Um, Mattel was another one uh, that we were looking at because, you know, here we are with uh, looking at the toys. Now, I should remind you that the quarterlies, we're looking at the last quarter of the year, meaning during Christmas time. All right. No movement here, even though there was a miss and miss and the revenue was down. Um, Likely because uh, last quarter, the last quarter announcements, um, when they announced guidance, they announced that it was going to be lower, it was expected lower, and even though this missed the the lower expectations, well, this does say that people aren't buying as many toys, all right? They've spent less on, at least on that, but because that wasn't true that you know so so far the only two things that we're looking at that have uh that have that downward pressure and that would speak to discretionary uh spending um issues is sd lauder and mattel all right so uh we're going to go down to disney well they missed revenue um, but they gapped up anyway and then fell right back down again there was nothing really dramatic here uh, even though they missed revenue, they were already in a demand zone, and so they jumped up, and it just was a little bit more dramatic because it was an earnings day. All right. Um, if you, if this is confusing to you, you're listening and saying, "Well, how do I take advantage of that? And how do I know? And what is this demand zone thing anyway?" You know, come into one of our free classes, uh, and and uh, you know, ask the question. I don't know that I approach the novice gap in the free class. That's something that we talk about in core strategy. Uh, we just got through with the core strategy. Kelly was, um, you know, was teaching it. He spent some time going and, and he, you know, because of this earning season, uh, the class had a lot of fun looking at these novice and pro gaps, uh, you know, to, to recognize what was happening and, and how to take advantage of it. So if this is something that you would like to, to get your hands on, Eh, come into one of our classes, all right? We've got some free classes, and especially if you're here in the Phoenix area. Uh, to find those, you just go to www.tradingacademy.com, uh, put in your zip code, and it's going to find a class near you or offer you an online class if there's not a physical class near you. Now, if there, you know, if there, if it is offering a physical class, you could, you know, sign up for the class, call in and ask for a virtual class and we'll try and hook you up for that or hook you up with that. Um, but the physical class is going to be better. You know, it's better information. You get better learning. Um, and so we'd love to see you. All right. A couple of other discretionary, uh, things here. One to look at Harley Davidson. Now, Harley Davidson, is that discretionary? Well, yeah, but um, it's only discretionary to people above a certain income level. Uh, so it's not going to really give a good overall uh, economic, you know, it's not going to be part of the overall economic, uh, you know, calculation thermometer, I should say. Um, but it does give an idea of, uh, of uh, you know, some of, at least one or two of the strata of the socioeconomic uh, areas. And in this case, it beat, 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 uptrend, uptrend, uptrend. Um, now the stock, it just, it, it shot up and then came right back down, you know, so it doesn't seem that this was too much of a surprise, but, uh, but there was beats all around 
and it's an uptrend in their in their revenue year over year. Uh, so I'm going to hold that one kind of in reserve just in the back of my mind, but I'm not taking that as part of the temperature gauge of the market. Okay. But Leggett and Platt, uh, you know, uh, this is a company that, well, this is the women's underwear, right? Um, what we saw here was kind of a beat and a miss. All right. It, uh, beat on earnings per share, missed on revenue and, uh, the profit is down. And so we saw it go both up and down and, and more down than up. Um, and again, you know, if you're looking at the profit, having a downward trend, that's what you can expect. But again, here we have another, uh, you know, discretionary income for the common person type thing. And we're seeing, we're seeing profits down, a trend downwards year over year. All right. Uh, Ralph Lauren, it had a beat and a beat and a profit is up and the gap is up. So, you know, that's one, the only so far discretionary consumer grade, uh, product that, that is showing, um, revenue, I don't know, being consistently up. So they're doing something right. All right. The last one, uh, PepsiCo or Pepsi. All right. Well, it beat in earnings per share, missed in revenue, meaning that, you know, it missed in revenue. So things, um, its products got a little bit more expensive to make and it made more money. It was charging, but, but because the expense was, uh, overcoming a lot of, you know, some of the sales, then we saw, uh, then we saw that revenue miss. All right. Um, but it's a 50, 50, it gapped down. The profit overall was up uh, year over year. So even though it gapped down, it bounced right back up. Not a surprise. Okay. So we're really looking at kind of a 50, 50 mix in the consumer grade, uh, discretionary spending type things right? And that's not really giving us, uh, that's not giving me any real pause saying that we've got problems in the markets. All right. At least not from that point of view. So yeah, you know, one of the lessons that I wanted to point, you know, point you to here is, is that even if you knew the numbers that I was talking about, even if you had known what was going on, you probably wouldn't have been able to, you know, for sure guess at what, what, you know, whether the market was going to move one way or another, your best indication here is still knowing where those higher time frame supply and demand zones are. Okay, that was very consistent. In fact, during the class, I only saw one really get uh, blown out, and it was only there for a couple of minutes, and then it dropped right back down and did what it was supposed to do. And because it was, you know, pre-market stuff, the class wasn't into that that trade anyway. All right. Okay. So next thing that we can talk about, if that isn't giving us any clue, then we turn to the other reports. So we could ask, all right, it's going up. The market isn't showing anything really special saying that we should be at all time highs. In fact, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of arguments out there saying that, that, uh, well, that things went up a lot further than they should. All right. And especially during this earnings season, we had several things that I didn't talk about that really gapped up, um, you know, because they had an, an earnings beat or something like that. So they beat by 10%, but they gapped up by 17%. 
Well, if you're looking at that, that doesn't make any sense, all right? How can you beat by 10% profit, you're, so you're 10% more profitable, but all of a sudden you become 17% more valuable? The numbers aren't adding up. This is just talks about the nature, the, the emotional nature of the market itself, okay? The market itself consists of traders and investors. Traders and investors, at least on whole, don't understand the numbers behind the market. All they know is, is that if I hear that they've beat on revenue, they've, they've beat their expectations, then the market should go up, so I better start buying. And if you've got a, a large enough population interested in the stock that did beat and it does start gapping up, then what you see is that there's a lot of people tagging in and it's going to, it's going to overdo itself. Typically, we would call this a bubble, all right? It starts into a bubble, but we've been on a bubble for so long and it hasn't popped that I don't know that that word has a lot of use in, you know, trading or investing, at least not yet. Now, you know, could the bubbles keep going and then pop and it be really devastating someday? Sure. Could the bubbles stay bubbles and just be very resilient being popped? Well, that's worked over the last several years. So yeah, I suppose, <laughs> all right? I'm not going to put any faith either way. Um, I'm going to be ready for both the up and the down. Uh, most easily managed in wealth with, uh, with understanding options, you know? So if you'd like to sleep well at night and still, you know, know that you're going to maintain your growth without, uh, without too much concern about, um, you know, precipitous drops like we saw in 2008, because Jeremy Grantham is saying, hey, we're going to have a, well, in fact, a lot of the larger name economists are saying that we're going to have a larger drop. Jeremy Grantham, you know, unlike some of the other pure economists, Jeremy Grantham has actually been a very, very successful uh, trader and investor. Uh, I'd weight him a little bit higher. And so when he says, hey, I'm getting really excited because I love shorting these uh, larger downturns and, and this one's coming up, well then, I don't know that I'm getting out of the market, but I'm certainly going to start using my options to secure my positions anyway. All right. All right. So um, one of the questions that has been uh, going on is, is that the economists have been watching and seeing that people are running out of money, and yet the markets keep going up. And so the economists are starting to say, well, hey, the common person doesn't have money anymore. They're, they're already maxing out their credit cards. They're already tapping into their 401ks and starting to draw from those. Uh, they're already, you know, they were already in debt before this year uh, came up. So it's not like they're getting, and you know, the wage increases have stopped. Uh, by and large, we're not seeing the same growth that we have there. So where is all this money coming from? Because as this is kind of a, it's not quite a zero sum game, but as this, you know, economy, uh, this trading evolves, when you're looking at all new highs, you're thinking, hey, we've got new money coming into the market. Where is this money coming from? All right, well, you know, where where is it coming from? Because the economists are absolutely right. I went and independently verified what they were saying. And sure enough, credit card and loan de delinquency rates are up. And that's an indication that, you know, the common person is out of cash. So they're probably not throwing cash at the stock market because they're already out. They 
you know, they've been buying food on credit cards and now they can't even do that, right? Uh, credit card balances are high and up again. Consumers are really running out of cash. The bond investment money is down. And I think that's the key, okay? So we've been in an, in an era where, you know, for the, well, I don't know, for up until just a couple of years ago, the retirees were throwing their money. You know, you get to retirement, you don't want your money going up and down anymore. You want to know where it's going to be, but you still want it making some money. And so you compromise. I'm not going to throw it at growth stocks, even though, you know, even though the growth stocks are the best engine for, uh, you know, for creating new wealth. Um, they also, when things go bad, they're the first things to drop and they drop the hardest. And so traditionally, the the retirees, when they transition towards retirement, start pulling money out of the stock market and putting it into the bond market. All right, well, the bond market has done nothing but go down over the last couple of years. And that's been really hard on, you know, those that are that are into long-term wealth. Not only that, but as the uh, government um, gets into more debt and, you know, and more debt and more debt and more debt, uh, then they have to print more bonds and more bonds and more bonds, which proliferates the number of bonds and sooner or later overcomes the number of people willing to invest in bonds. So, you know, there, there's a supply and demand problem here, and that means the bonds become less valuable, which is what we've seen over the last... Uh, 24, 26 months now, um, as this bond market has has been dropping off and not recovering to uh, where it's tempting for people to stay in. But the stock market keeps going up. It's been very resilient. So, you know, what it's looking like, and this is going to be tested out over time, is, is that those retirees are tired of losing and saying, well, with inflation coming, with my bonds not performing, I can't in retirement, you know, my retirement is not going to allow me to keep on this track. We're going to have to do something else. I might as well take some growth. If I'm going to lose anyway, you know, take the chance of losing, might as well take some growth. And so as it's coming out of the bond market, it's going somewhere. It's kind of likely that it's been going into the stock market and helping us create new highs here in the stock market. That might be what's going on. Just a guess, but the money's got to be coming from somewhere. And, you know, many of the other reports aren't correlating with the idea that it's coming from the everyday person. So the only the only thing that seems to support that new money is flowing into the market seems to be that it's being taken out of other places like the bond market. All right. Okay. Um, so, you know, what, what does that do? What does that mean to you as an investor um, or as a, you know, as a trader? Well, in the trading world, what it means is we're going to continue to have volatility. It's going to continue to be a trader's market in the future because, you know, as long as there's this, um, uh, this dissonance between the economic reports and, uh, and the realities of the market, there's going to be larger swings up, larger swings down, uh, you know, in at the first sign of, of trouble, at the first sign of success. Uh, that That's great for the traders out there, all right, and especially for you options traders, all right. Uh, well, unless you're, you know, looking to do 
uh, spreads and butterflies and things that you don't want a whole bunch of movement. All right. But uh, if you're, I don't know, some of those will still take a lot of movement and be good. Eh. Strangles, maybe not as much, but, um, you know, but for you, uh, especially for you options traders, this has been fabulous and it will likely continue to be fabulous as long as you're on the right side of the trade. All right. As long as you're correctly reading, uh, you know, the what's going on day to day, week to week, you're going to be in a very good position. Um, even if you're every once in a while wrong, uh, because you've got so much movement to be right when you're right. And as long as you understand how to cap your losses, you should be all right. All right. Uh, what does this mean for investors? Hey, we still have highs. If money's coming out of the bond market, then we might continue to have highs in the stock market, even if the economic reports don't look so hot. Um, maybe enjoy the ride, uh, but be prepared for it to drop out because Jeremy Grantham has been successful for a long time. You know, Warren Buffett doesn't seem to be uh, deploying his $157 billion worth of cash because he already cashed out his stocks for the most part. You know, um, these two aren't fools. They, but they're patient. And so, you know, something could be coming. Historically speaking, something always comes up. <laughs> All right. So they'll eventually be right. Uh, but they're missing out on, on the gains that you could have. The thing is, is that you can't try and shadow what they're doing. So just because they're getting out, just because they're saying there's trouble, doesn't mean you have to be. Remember, you are a lot more nimble than they are. They can't possibly cash out their billions as fast as you can cash out a couple hundred thousand. All right. There, there's always a market to get a couple hundred thousand out, but there's not always a market to buy out 157 billion, which is what Warren Buffett had to do. And so he's been, you know, having to do that over a longer period of time. Um, so what you can do is actually take advantage um, of these higher highs that we've been seeing with not as much trepidation that you're going to have to necessarily take the full crash. Um, you can be more effective. And Warren Buffett has talked about that several times. He said, if I had less money, I could be more profitable. All right. But he has, you know, a lot of money. It's going to be harder for him to be as profitable as somebody else could be. But he gets away with it and he does well because he's smart and patient. You should be smart and patient, but you don't have to necessarily do what he's doing. All right, Warren Buffett or Jeremy Grantham. All right, I wanted to talk about one other topic really fast before uh, before we go. Um, there's been a, quite a bit of interest in trading and investing and especially interest in trading lately. All right, and I just wanted to talk about what is likely going on because this has captured the attention and the imagination of a lot. In fact, when you hear it on TikTok, you know that it's kind of a big thing. Um, now, I'm not a millennial, and so I'm not as on TikTok. This is something that's been talked about for two years. And because I'm not on TikTok, it's taken all of this time for me to actually recognize this as a theme that keeps recurring, um, you know, in, in places that I don't usually look. But, but I do appreciate, uh, you know, what, what is being pointed out here. All right. So there's a new theory that... Um, you know, that's been creeping up all of the time as we are hitting, uh, you know, as we are hitting all new highs. And and there's kind of two theories going along. 
All right, number one, more people want to trade because they've seen just nothing but success over a whole generation of traders. And that's kind of true, you know. Um, we've taken some dips here and there, but mostly since 2009, and that's a while ago, um, and a whole generation of trading, by the way, since 2009, we've seen nothing but the markets going up. All right. Even when the markets took, uh, you know, took a dive there in 2020 with the COVID thing, uh, they recovered within months. I mean, it was down and back up inside a quarter. We've never seen that before. All right. But that's what happens when you just turn on the printing presses and print money, which is what we did. Um, and so we saw, you know, the inflation hit the markets. That's what it's supposed to that's what it's supposed to do when you print money. And we saw that inflation hit the markets and prop it up first and then rush it to new heights later. So could it be that everybody is saying, hey, all I have to do is throw my money at the markets and it will make money? Well, that's what happened right before 1929. Me, I don't know that that's what's going on, all right? Uh, there's a, another theory out there that people simply can't afford their lifestyle. And this is the one I want to focus on. So here we've got a TikToker, and he's calling this period of our economy the silent depression. All right, now, economists dismiss this because the numbers don't match the definition, as in there's a definition of what a depression is, and it has high um, unemployment, it has GDP that is down, um, and, and here we've got the millennials saying, no, no, this is a depression, and here the economists are saying, yes, hey, yes, this is not a depression, all right, um, and and it's being you know it's being dismissed because of the definition. The millennials are saying we don't care about definitions. What we care about is you know is the lifestyle, is what is actually happening in the economy and and what it feels like. So I'm going to try and um, explain what's going on with this and and why they're calling it the silent depression. Uh, and again, it's not going to ma match the, the definition, all right? But here's kind of the rub of what's going on. Uh, here's this TikToker's trying to explain what he's seeing. And, and you know what? You've got to, you've got to appreciate that, this because if you look at it, you know, uh, President Biden should be declaring victories, which he is, all right? He's declaring victories in the economy. Hey, look, you know, the, the market's never been this high. Obviously, I'm doing a great job. But he's getting a lot of, you know, of pushback on this. And in fact, if you look at his approval ratings in the economy, even though the economic numbers are high, his approval ratings are not good in terms of the economy. You know, why is that? What's going on? And it's probably because of what this millennial is pointing out here. So let me just get to it. In 1930, the average income per year was $1,300. I know that doesn't sound like much, but, you know, when you can get a loaf of bread for a couple of pennies, well, then your dollars went a lot further, <laughs> okay? Um, and and it, it's going to be pointed out right here, okay? Uh, so $1,300 a year was your salary. The average home price was $3,900. So at only three times your salary, you're buying a house. Today, the average salary is $56,000. The average home, $436,000. And that means that's eight times your, your annual income. Uh, you know, so 1930s housing was uh, less than half 
of what it would be today if you're looking at, uh, you know, if you're looking at the adjusted dollar. We've had a huge inflation in the cost per what you make on, you know, in any given day, the co- the percentage cost to your income in housing. All right. Uh, the next one, the average car, $600. And again, this was in 1930. And the average income was, again was 1300 So this is 46% of one's annual income. The car costs you 46%. Uh, obviously that you're, you know, in both cases, you're either paying it off over years, a couple of years time, or you're saving up over a couple of years time. So today with the average income at 56,000, the average car costs 48,000. That's 85% of the annual income. Well, that's a huge increase, right? Um, not quite double, but it's approaching double. All right. Uh, the average income in the in 1930 again, uh, 13 being 1,300. The average rent, if you didn't own your home, you rented your home, 216 dollars a year. That is 16 percent of the income of a yearly income. Today, with 56,000 again being the average, the a- average rent is 24 percent. You know, that's a 42% of the annual income is going to that. So if you start adding those up, you know, 42% is going to rent. Um, You know, you've got a large percentage going, you know, to the car as well. And all of a sudden you're saying, oh, we've got a lot less disposable income uh, than we today than we did back then, meaning that we're spending more and more of our paychecks simply on necessities than we were back then. Um, you know, even in the middle of the depression. Well, okay. So from how, you know, how life feels and, you know, how, how fast you can go into debt and how fast you can't get out of debt, uh, you know, today is more difficult dollar for dollar than it was even during the great depression. That's, that's what this, uh, TikToker is talking about. And I think that, you know, these uh, these TikTokers talking about this and doing the numbers have a fair point. Now, the what, what I'm where I'm going with this is because of that d- dynamic. All right, people are forced to think. All right, we have to have more and more income. Where are we going to get it in order for us to keep up with today's costs and maybe even have a little bit of discretionary, uh, you know, discretionary rev- dollars to spend if we want to do something that's anything other than just getting squeaking by, right? And so they're turning to things and you you can look at either a second job or picking up a side hustle that might bring in some revenue. And so I think more and more people are just saying, hey, look, I need something. I can either, you know, come home from my eight hour a day job and go to another eight hour job and try and do double the revenue and never see my family. And, you know, that kind of sucks. Uh, never have any time uh, to myself and, and uh, you know, why do that? Or I can learn how to trade. Lots of money has been made in trading and, hey, that's where the money is, so maybe I can just get good at it. All right, and and that's that's great. You know, extra income is needed. Trading is seen as a good part-time opportunity or full-time opportunity for those that just get tired of the workforce altogether, and there's a lot of that going along. The problem is, is that if you don't know what you're doing and here you're getting into the markets and the people that are successful are successful because they're professionals. 
All right. They've learned what the market is. They've learned how to handle the markets. They've learned what the rhythm of the markets are. And all of a sudden we have got a whole bunch of people that have no clue. They're throwing their hard earned dollars at the markets, hoping to, I don't know, win the lottery there. All right. Um, thinking that, Hey, if it keeps going up, then I can't miss and they're wrong. But you know, that that's kind of what they're doing. And, and what it turns out is, is that it makes it so much easier for the professionals to pick up loose cash. And that's why even today, 80 to 90% of people going to the markets with their own money end up losing. It's not because the markets, you know, trading doesn't work. Obviously, trading works, it works for some people. So why is it working for the 20, the 10 to 20%, depending on which report you're looking at, but it's failing for the you know, 80%. Well, it's not because that 20% is lucky all the time. You can't be consistently all the time lucky. It's because they know what they're doing. All right. And so they approach this more like a profession, something that they have to learn in order to take advantage of. And others are approaching it like a magic trick or, you know, or a lottery. They're just hoping to get lucky. They've seen it before. Somebody puts a thousand dollars into Bitcoin back in, I don't know, 2012, and all of a sudden they're sitting as a millionaire today, even though they still don't know what they did right. They just got lucky and got into something that that went up. All right. And by the way, Bitcoin you could have done much better elsewhere. It's just you know a little bit of an example, and probably one that you've heard more often than some of the other places that you could have gone to do better. Um, but the point is, is, you know, that, that people don't know how to approach this. Uh, and you know, they, so once they start losing money, then they do the next worst thing, which is go to YouTube, trying to find information, you know, and I'm not going to say that there's not good information on YouTube. The fact, the problem is, is that there's so much different information, not all of it good that they don't know what to trust. And so they end up trying to hodgepodge things together and it's just not working for them. All right. I can't tell you how many people come into my classes and they have been, you know, diligent students at YouTube University here and it's just not making it for them. All right. I would suggest that if you want to look at this, come to our three hour class, three hour power trading and investing class. All right. It's free. Um, and during the class, I give you a good idea of not only how the markets work, how trading works from a professional standpoint, but also, um, you know, the, what, what would be expected of you, what it's going to take to actually get to a place where you might be able to be as professional as some of the others out there and therefore have a good chance of being profitable in the market. All right. Um, so yeah, if, if you're interested and you probably are, if you're listening to this podcast, Go to www.tradingacademy.com and put in your zip code and it's going to offer you either online or in-person classes. Now, if you're in the Phoenix area, Phoenix, Arizona, love to see you. Come on in um, and, you know, it's going to be a great class, uh, but you're going to do your best learning eyeball to eyeball, kneecap to kneecap. And if it's a small enough class, I even give you a little bit of hands-on type stuff, okay? Which is something that I usually only do in all of the other classes. All right. Now, the free class is just there to give the best information and give an idea to you of what it's going to take. Anybody that thinks that they can do it or that they really want to stick with this trading and investing, we do have other classes. 
And you can ask me about those in the three hour, but the three hour kind of, uh, just one of those things. I mean, it's the same information that when I'm invited to, uh, you know, speak at high schools that I, I talk about there, I'm showing the numbers. I'm showing, you know, how the markets actually work and the proofs behind that. Um, and it's a great class for anybody in any situation, even if you've been trading for a while. All right, just come in and check it out. Again, you would get into that class going to www.tradingacademy.com. So go there now, and we hope to see you in class. And otherwise, we will talk to you next week. Uh, happy trading. Thank you.